You're listening to Fight in Progress. With your hosts and stress coaches, founder of Under the Shield, Susan Simmons, and TomTheBomb.com. Fight in Progress grapples with the internal and external struggles in the daily lives of our men and women in law enforcement, the armed forces, and first responders. Tackling the tough topics and supporting those who support us. We hear you, and we're here for you. Good morning, and welcome to the new Under the Shield presenting Fight in Progress. Morning, Tom, thebomb.com. Good morning, Susan. <laughs> How you doing today? Doing pretty good. Good. Are you excited about our guest? I am. I am, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are honored. I'm not sure what we're supposed to call you, though. I don't know whether to call you David or call you JD or call you Buck Savage or um, hey, you. Dave's fine. Dave's fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dave. Well, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. How is it down in sunny Tucson? I assume that's where you are. Yeah, down here in uh, Marana, Arizona, it's been really hot. We had some really good monsoons and that everything's bright green, which is rare down here. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> now the heat's back, so it's been pretty, it's definitely pool days now. Well, I was just talking to a, a friend who's the PIO at Baton Rouge Police Department, and they're battening down, getting ready for that hurricane to come through. So I, I'll take the heat out here. I've been through enough hurricanes in my life being from the south i brought my midwestern tornado prone area wife <laughs> out here and she's loving it because she'll take this heat any day to those tornadoes absolutely that was a huge blessing to my moving from alabama out here because we had some rough ones right before i got here in 2012 uh, those are not tornado fun. that's a terrifying thing exactly it, it certainly is so anyway, we are just really honored to have you here on the show today, and I uh, want to talk to you about a lot of things. Uh, obviously, your days as Buck Savage, um, because that I, we were laughing this morning. I was telling Tom, I said you're kind of the the pioneer of the um, what TikTok. Did, TikTok, and what did we call the videos? Um, the, the cops were all lip syncing and, right. and it, you kind of launched some of that stuff with your, with your way of, of handling videos. Well, I just wanted to put humor in police training and it, boy, it sure paid off. I'll tell you that started a career going all over this country, you know, teaching and helping uh, law enforcement officers stay safe. It's been a great deal. Well, we were laughing, uh, reading about the, I don't know if that was the first one, the, the stop and rob. Mm -hmm. very first one yep. <laughs> 1980 and wow. how and how that video came about that you had how many takes and then finally the oh. phoenix officer said that was funny so that was it <laughs> that was it we had a, a phoenix officer we called in to do security obviously we're shooting on a street corner in 19th and indian school in phoenix and uh he and then he saw what's going on he called his sergeant and then called the whole squad over <laughs> So we just started going through everything with them. What do you guys think of that? What do you think of this? You know, and that's how we ended up with the name Buck Savage even. Wow. Oh, oh, they helped give you the name? We had a whole list of names. So I ran them by the squad and they voted on J.D. Buck Savage being the name. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just glad that they're out there in internet land for people <clears throat> to go back. Because those that are on who haven't had the honor or the pleasure of hearing you or seeing those videos... I hope they'll go back and watch. But we were also looking it up. Are you connected to these these movies, Buck Savage? There's no. there's some movies. <laughs> Somebody's stealing your name, my friend. No, I tell you what, you can't can't copyright a name. There you go. That's the thing. But yeah, well, the, but, uh, they don't have the JD in front of it. They're well, just there you Buck go. Savage. Oh, okay, that's what it yeah. was. That's that's it. Yep. See, you should have you should have copyrighted it both ways. And I tell you what, well, it's just one of those things that, you know, it, we did it on duty, you know, everybody, well, how many royalties you get? I didn't, I didn't get a royalty, <laughs> you know, that's it. I did them till I got sergeant stripes, you know, that was it. Is that what stopped it? Well, that, and I ended up uh, taking a leave of absence to do street survivals uh, in the eighties and, uh, you know, I got promoted and then I went to went all over the country for a, a year, uh, came back and still kept doing street survivals and my job in narcotics. So I was pretty busy, hard to do any more Buck Savage. <laughs> How could you do narcotics work after your face being out there all the time? Isn't that the truth? You know, I had a buddy 
in an undercover squad who would wear a police hat to do deals. That just tells you how narcotics is. Well, that's okay? true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know how you, much you know about me, but I was married to a DEA agent for twenty years. And as I heard him and the other agents talking about cases, I figured out, you know, they aren't the brightest people. That's for sure. No, that's exactly right. You know, people are in narcotics. It's so funny because, you know, all the mythology among the, in the drug crowd, it, it was always amazing. You know, when they said, well, are, you're not a cop, are you? <laughs> and then of course the answer is always, well, are you, you know, and it was, that was it. End of the conversation, all good to go, you know. <laughs> You think they'd figure that out, wouldn't you? Think so. <laughs> and like, so. If, and in asking you, you're going to go, "Oh, yeah, I am. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, Here's my exactly. badge." And I well, don't they'd think all that's... say, "You know, you can't lie to me." And I go, oh, "Really? Well, <laughs> then I need to ask you." Right. You know? I don't think any of that's changed in all those years. <laughs> no, Probably. no. Except now you go down to the local dispensary. <laughs> Man. And it's like a traffic jam. <laughs> oh my gosh! 105 degrees, and the line goes around the building. I'm I like, know. How do they do that? It is unbelievable. Oh well, and I've got to ask you the same thing I ask Robert Almonte. I'm sure you know Robert um, out of Texas, and want to get your thoughts since you work narcotics about legalizing drugs. Is this a good plan, or is this one of the dumbest things we've ever done? This is tough. You know, here's the problem. If you're not going to socially stigmatize something, you, you can't make it illegal. And, you know, and this is, I wrote an article on this last year. My problem with it is that the cultural media, the elites, always mocked us for doing the enforcement. Mm -hmm. And I always felt we're in a conundrum here because I'm out enforcing drug laws. And the kids are watching TV where the heroes are smoking dope, where the hero right. compliments the drug, or in some movies, the drug dealer themselves are the heroes. Sure. Culturally, that just doesn't work. And, that, and that's the whole problem is we ended up, this was worse than prohibition because, you know, we didn't have a, a, a temperance society uh, going on to help counter uh, the drug culture. And, you know, uh, you know, I'm not saying it's Cheech and Chong's fault that we lost the drug war, but gang, it didn't help, gang. It didn't yeah. help at all. Those were pretty funny, funny movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, all of us narcs would laugh at them. We loved them, you know, because that was the culture, you know, and that's the whole thing. America loves a bit of a rebellion. We love the libertarian, or at least we did. I don't know what we do. Anymore. We don't know what we do right. now either. Boy, it's just become insane. Uh, but the problem is, is that when you lose this thing, like we've done for like Washington, you can, you know, they're essentially decriminalizing almost all drugs. And when you have prosecutors that won't prosecute anyway, well, you know, what are you going to do as a society? You and we, we valued, we did value individual freedom and liberty. Now we have this collective mindset, which doesn't really seem to have a focus, but just drifts around attacking certain ideas, concepts, words, uh, and beliefs, but that's it. It doesn't really have a foundational belief. And, and drugs <laughs> appear to be part of the culture. You yeah. know? And yet in Washington state, nobody's, well, I think some are pushing back now, but I don't know if you saw where they're making the athletes in the high schools and the coaches wear ankle monitors supposedly to, to yeah. detect COVID or something. <laughs> You know, I that, they had the to COVID stick something thing, up enough, your nose. Well, that's, right. another, that's another whole show there. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was raised by a physician and surgeon, you know, and he, uh, you know, this is one of the things that he always taught me, you know, that science, the key word in science is skepticism, not consensus. He'd be, sure. if he was alive today, he'd be livid over this. And this is the thing is that we, the science, it should never be politicized because what happens then it becomes dogma instead of research. It, mm -hmm. You know, scientism, I think is Mark Levin's word for it. Uh, yes. And I have to agree with him. It's a, it's become a religious uh, thing. It's like, it's like the Soviet science where they believed that if you, uh, you could get plants to cooperate in these absurdities that starved millions of people. You know, as a society, we're doing I mean, metaphorically that starvation intellectually here. Sure. It's yeah. crazy. Wow. So how many total J.D. Buck Savage videos did you make? We only made a, a 13, if I believe, uh, if you do the total. Um, you know, what happened was it, I, I first, the first couple I did, 
got so much antagonism from the brass, I was pretty scared. But, uh, we wondered correct. about that. Right. Oh, gang, I got to tell you. What. And, and it was one of those things that, you know, I was in the administrative bureau and training, you know, the fitness and survival uh, instructor. And uh, I wanted to have humor sure. uh, in our training quarterly that we put out. And we did that out through the, the police officer standards of training board back then. And although DPS, my agency produced them. And so we, we got permission from the head of that. Uh, we got permission up through the admin bureau, but nobody walked over to the bureau of the highway patrol whose uniform <laughs> I, that was my uniform right. as a DPS officer. So I did the first one in front of the stop and rob. And I'll right off the bat, I started getting calls from all over the state. People saying, Hey, that really was fun. Cause I, I always thought they were very boring. And I said, can't we put more humor in it? You know, to just sure. enhance the retention and make it more viewable, you know? And so I post said, sure, go for it. And so we did. And boy, I'll tell you what, the head of the highway patrol, the Colonel, Lieutenant Colonel came up to me at the pumps there at the headquarters while I'm filling my, you know, that's kind of the water. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Sure is. And so we're sitting there and I'm chatting with my buds and here comes the Colonel and he comes up and starts calling me names, telling me what a disgrace <laughs> I am. And, and of course I'm just this young crime fighter, totally transfixed with, you know, like a, you know, man, I'm like a pissed frog. I didn't know where to go, you know. And, uh, so, but miraculously, the the new director we had, Ralph Milstead, at that time, he uh, he loved them, and so I got to keep doing them. You know, that was sort of that, you know, uh, permission from on high that let me keep doing them. And then all of a sudden, once they got all the feedback, they the brass really supported me. And then I started having to do specialties like. Buck goes to motors. Buck goes hey, to the academy. That one and all is... of a sudden, I'm doing all these special bucks for everybody because they wanted to have their their unit represented. You know, so well, it turned out to be really good for the agency and me. You know? Buck going to motors that has that touches my heart because I first went to DPS Motor School in 1999. And at the very end, when you're running straight down, knocking all those cones over in that 30 mile cone weave, that is just the best. And that's, there was no stunt man for those. Felix made me, yeah, he's like, you're doing it. I'm like, oh, great. You know, I ride bikes. I don't ride motorcycles. You know, that, was, that was quite a, I ended up so badly bruised from that shit. I can't believe. It's just like, you know, when you let the bike drop. Right. I had no idea you should probably move your wallet from that side of the key to your butt because I bruised it down on my bone. I got to tell you what, that motorcycle spanks you. It does. On the but it was a lot of fun. The motor guys, of course, you know, I had so many good friends in motors, still do. And, uh, you know, it's so funny because they retire and then they all keep riding motorcycles. Sure. You know, geez, guys, well, that's been a discussion here on the podcast because Tom has seven days till he retires. Wow. From how, Excellent. Many, how many years? Yes. 27 years. Well, congratulations, man. That's great. I'll Thank tell you, you what, it's, you know, and it's probably a really good time to retire. It, I know, believe it gosh. is a very good time. Yeah. And I, I, know, I and I grabbed him before he retired. And so we're bringing him on at under the shield. <laughs> so he's, he's Excellent. not going to get any downtime. I, I told his wife, she can have him for all the honeydew list. But other than that, we're going to keep him busy here at under the shield. <laughs> Excellent. Well, you know, I believe every human needs a mission in life. They have to believe their life matters. And that's right. the thing I, you know, when I first started in law enforcement back in the old days, you know, we, so many cops retired and died. Yes. Yeah. You know, I never forget the, you know, uh, I think it was the Kentucky department of justice did a study uh, back in those days. And they found the average officer only lived five years yep. after right. retirement. And one yes. of the things is, is, you know, Law enforcement is a mission. It's a it's an all-consuming emotional commitment in your life. Yeah. And then if you retire and don't do something like you're doing, mm -hmm. you, you just you're you know it's, it's tough to just go and sit in your living room and read the paper, which yeah. you don't even make anymore. Right. And so, <laughs> I know. That's I... a great thing to do. I mean, all my friends that are happiest are the ones that they just started a new mission in life. Whether it's being the the best grandfather or grandmother sure. they can be or traveling around the country or working like you uh, on something they really believe in. I know I just talked to a friend of mine um, about a week ago who he's been retired just over five years. So I had to congratulate him that he made it past the hump. Yes. <laughs> I said, you're he's good strong. now. You, you'll That's be able right. to retire That's for right. a long time. What a sad <laughs> milestone here. You know, it's kind of like cops have always laughed about you're not a real cop till you got at least two divorces. 
Is that really something we need to be striving for? <laughs> is, it, is it something we want to confess to right now on the show? I guess so, you know. But well. see, the great thing for me, my wife, the Sarge, she's this, I'm her third. She's my third. So we really can't, you know, yeah, we don't claim any special knowledge except we have experience, you know. Y'all are exactly. the, so they're the true heart of law enforcement because you got yeah, more than the two. <laughs> Yeah, that's priceless. Um, now, when did you retire? Well, I left in nineteen in uh, nineteen ninety. I went to the Law Enforcement Television Network out of Carrollton, Texas, okay. and became the director of education. I was the training commander in Phoenix at that point. Left in nineteen ninety, went there, and uh, that started another whole aspect of my life. That private sector uh, broadcast training, and it was uh, that was you know there never been a position like it. I, I sat down with the director uh, and said, hey, I've been offered this position in, in uh, the Dallas area. And he's like, look, if it doesn't work out, just come back. <laughs> but but this is something that you really need to, to do a shot with. You know, Rick Ayers at that time was our director. And he mm -hmm. said, you know, there's nobody in the country that has that particular skill set. It's just something I, I did radio in college. So I had the ability to to blab and then I done <laughs> Buck Savage and so I was real comfortable on camera because we played with it all the time down in DPS video which was rated back then the number one video uh, law enforcement unit in the United States uh, so you know uh, that started a whole new career that was something that I, I hate to see that it's gone now but for those of you that aren't familiar the law enforcement television network we had a we had uh, you know thousands of agents I mean literally uh, it was amazing because uh, we had a, a quarter of a million law enforcement officers under the subscriber base, including the wow. RCMP and all these major agencies. And it was literally a, a 24 hour training and news service for law enforcement satellite distributed. And it was amazing. And it was the greatest event for me because I got it was like a Ph.D. program. <laughs> I could read an article in Police Mag or, uh, you know, Technology Today or in anything and then get on the phone and do a show with that author or that expert and uh, man, we it's a shame that's gone, especially with the internet capability we have today. Right. It's unfortunate, you know. Why did it? What I mean, I can remember it being around, but to be honest with you, I guess I just hadn't even thought about it or looked for it. You know, the, here's the thing, it's adapt or die, right? I would mm -hmm. sit there, uh, you know, I can remember by the 90s, by the mid 90s, we had, uh, we'd have interns from like uh, North Texas or something, uh, one of the universities, Dallas, and these interns were taking a show we just shot where it was going to cost us a $10,000 day in an edit suite to edit. And they'd sit down with this thing called an Apple computer <laughs> and a program. And two hours later, they'd edited it with the same quality I was going to get from that edit suite without any ding to our budget. And that's the whole problem. We built a huge, one of the most fabulous studio facilities in the Dallas Metroplex. It was literally the best non-affiliated news studio uh, in the Metroplex. So many shows were filmed there or taped there or whatever you want to call it, digitized there nowadays. I yeah. say. And it was, uh, and the thing was, is I, I remember speaking to one of the managers saying, you know, we need to think about this new technology, this internet these kids are talking about, and then reevaluate how we edit these things because this is such a huge hit to our budget to, 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 to schedule these days. And, and again, it was, it's an, an early adapt or die. You know, I read a great book years and years ago called The Innovator's Dilemma because mm -hmm. LATN was such an innovator that, but the trouble is then you're frozen in that moment in time, 1989, yeah. when they started the Carl Westcott started what is Westcott Communications is automotive sales network and his law enforcement network. Eventually they had over 20 networks serving all kinds of professions, but it was all satellite based, which is very intense, very expensive. Mm -hmm. They had this giant facility, very expensive. And so literally within six years, innovation had made them the, the dinosaurs. And that's how quick uh, technology changes today. You know, it's wow. amazing. So is there even anything that's equivalent to it? You know that you, you've got different things like police one out right. there. You've yeah. got others. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's the kind of thing where, you know, their subscription services, you know, uh, learning. Uh, the question becomes, you know, um, how much does your agency spend? How much do you spend? What is your, does your union provide it there? You know, I mean, the mag, print mag, the only police magazine I know of anymore left is Police Magazine. And, and it's 
used online. I think the majority of the time right. I still do the back page, you know, 16 <laughs> years later, I'm still doing the back page of that in my column in my sites, you know, and I try to be funny, but the last couple of years, it's been hard to be funny. You know, well, well, it's a kind of a catch-22 also because you get in trouble for being funny, you, you know. And then in this industry, though, you know, we were talking about it on several other shows, that sick humor is such a healthy thing for law enforcement. And I've written about that. Exactly. Yeah, we've taken it from and, it's and we, a healing valve for us. Yeah, right. there, it's there's, gone now. there's actually a study that says when you can use sick humor, the body sends a message to the brain. This has no power over me. Right. And now between body cams and administrations with zero sense of humor, we have really crippled, I think, law enforcement officers from a, a mental wellness standpoint and their families as well. And I don't think there's another option in that regard. Uh, you know, so we don't even have what Reno nine one one anymore. I don't even think that's <laughs> no. on anymore, and that no. always I was funny. It, I think it might be coming back. I don't know, but <laughs> you know, the problem is here's the thing. By the way, they stole my pizza section for that show. Oh, Reno did they? Anyone stole my pizza delivery, <laughs> and I, that still pisses me off. But anyway, <laughs> the, the problem is, see what you're talking about. It isn't just law enforcement. Literally, any essential American institution has been under assault. Yes. You know, and what we saw this horrible tragedy with our Marines in Afghanistan, it's like, where's our leadership today? Who is, are there any adults still in charge? The adults yeah. seem to be all the ones still fighting, struggling. You know, and I just, I, I tell you, I, whenever I speak to contemporary law enforcement officers today, I just uh, congratulate them on having the courage to stay in there because- right. I got to tell you what, that this is, they keep trying to take our mission away. They, yes. and, and not just that, they falsely accuse law enforcement of all kinds of ills and in the big R word, which is we all know is, is that's one of the worst things you can call somebody. Yes. But then you yes. accuse us that we are, are just essentially racist. What, what is that about? Right. I mean, what are you talking about? Our generation, I'm 69, okay? My generation, that was one of the worst things you could call somebody. Yes. Go look at the films of the night of the 60s. Look at the films of the 70s. We weren't raised in racist. We are raised in anti-racist. Exactly. Uh, literally, that was the, the default setting. You know, you must be anti-racist. You must stop it. The Klan was never revered. It was something I can remember doing a high school uh, report to our, our in, in the social sciences. I had to we each were given an extremist group and I was given the clan and had to read and research it and, and all the things they'd done and how this, well, yeah, the government had embraced them under Wilson. Mm -hmm. but, Wait a minute. That was, that was like <laughs> 1914. 19 <laughs> right. Yeah. Was a long time ago. Since, you know, and we reviled that. Yes. My whole yeah. class reviled that, you know, and this is the kind of thing where, wait a minute, wait, and, we, and we're so gaslighted by the media and the propagandists that we just go, wow, you know, uh, I don't remember that, but I guess it's right. It's not right. And yep. we have to stand against it. Right. Yeah. We've lost our way. I'm, I'm 62. So I'm just behind you. And again, You're right. A baby. <laughs> You're my wife. <laughs> keep keep yeah. saying that Dave, I'll call you every day. Um, <laughs> and being raised in the South, my dad was in education and I remember, I remember desegregation and I remember the Klan being a scary group as a child that these were people that no one wanted anything to do with. I don't ever remember them being lauded as anything you would want to grow up to be or marry or be a part of. And they were ostracized yes. as, as well they should be. Yes, exactly. absolutely. But, see, why, but yet, we don't even hear the truth about that. It wasn't some common neighborhood group throughout no. the country. No. There were pockets of it. And yeah, there was racism there. But the point is, is you would look at the rest of the world, talk about racist, talk about misogynistic. What you know, where's your comparative? You know, do you understand human nature at all? And the answer is always no now. Right. Uh, it's just a it's a weird time of self-flagellation and self-hatred, and it's not healthy, you know, and they're just like this democratizing our republic. Um yes. gang, I tell you what, that scares the heck out of me. The more I study this. Uh, the, the more scary it gets, because, you know, I was reading Gers, uh, Why Men Rebel, which is not a fun book. Don't bother to read it. I'll give you the whole thing right now. <laughs> okay. As long as you think you can make the social changes you want 
without violence, you're not going to use violence. In America, we've always avoided violence, except for the Civil War, which was not a revolution. It right. was a secession, yep. which, yep. which was arguably uh, a legitimate act by the South. Sure. Because that was something the, the, the North, you know, again, we all know that uh, during 1812, that New England threatened to secede. So we, we, the, the secession is not a rebellion, even though we call it that. The problem is, is that Americans have always known, look, even though I lost the election, I know I get a chance to rebound next election right. or the election yeah. after that. If they pass these laws changing our ability to change, yes, then people, then it scares the hell out of me because our people are going to be caught dead in the middle yeah. of this and it's just terrifying. Yeah, right is wrong and wrong is right. And I said, when you come out with, <laughs> with the media saying that Larry Elder is the black face of white supremacy. <laughs> white supremacy. I go, what the hell? <laughs> what, he's what? right out of he's right out of Compton. He is he has been raised. He knows, you know, he is as streetwise as anybody. How does anybody and, take that seriously? <laughs> it's it's just such a no, contradiction. I, I keep telling people, look, I couldn't you couldn't write this as a comedy because no. it's too absurd. I mean, it's like no one would believe funny it because it's just could never be. I mean, part of humor is the, the ability of to actually be or, you know, but that's not even that's just absurd. You can't Smith. That would be crazy. You know? Well, there are people that actually believe it. That's the scary part to me. And these are people that can vote and they go, yeah, that's exactly who he is. And you go, huh? How, how do you come up with this? Well, a but, lot of them are have uh, letters after their names as well. And that's part of that. In front and back, and that's in even scarier. And, and it's scary because that's one of the problems is that, that was there education indoctrination or was it education? Did right. they learn to think mm -hmm. critically or to regurgitate dogma? So, yes. that I mean, it's one of the questions I always ask myself when I see anybody with credentials after their name. What does that really mean? Well, and I want to know what your take is on how do you explain anybody wanting to get into law enforcement these days? You know, I know we don't have the numbers. They're not up there. It's, it's, they're few and far between, but I don't, I can't even explain why anybody would want to these days. You know what? I think there are people who, I, in men and women, there is this drive to, like I said, to have their life mean something mm -hmm. and law enforcement gives you that impact that today you made a difference in lives today you helped today see I, in spite of the liberal dogma there's no cop driving around that i ever met thinking about who do i oppress today right. exactly uh, you know you're, you're going out there and you're going to take your calls number one it is an adventure that's for and sure. that's the thing that i always loved about law enforcement whatever my assignment whether i was in training or i was in narcotics or I was on the Navajo reservation as a highway patrolman. It was always a miraculous adventure, you know, working a dance and just seeing the incredible, I grew up around Navajos and Hopis in Flagstaff, Arizona, you know, and to, the culture has always fascinated me, Yes. you know, and this is the thing is, you know, I'm on the reservation, living on the reservation, immersed in the culture. And it was a great adventure, narcotics, great adventure. And that's the thing. That's how you approach life. And I think that there's a whole core of kids that grow up wanting to have that adventure in a meaningful course. And that's what law enforcement is. Mm -hmm. It's a meaningful course and a positive adventure. And let's face it, it's heroic. It is a hero's path. Yes. And it's it, it's ingrained in the human spirit. I do. I, I'm a big believer in Joseph Campbell. I know a lot of the intellectuals don't like him, but is, uh, you know, a hero with a thousand faces and one of the key faces is that warrior path which is a now become a bad term bad warrior word. training yeah and nobody can ever define it for me oh you know any any training that denigrates uh others well why is that warrior warrior has nothing to do with that exactly. warrior warrior is is associated with our ethos of duty honor honor loyalty mm -hmm. selfless service courage these are where has that become a negative? I consider doctors and nurses warriors against disease and suffering. Sure. Educators are supposed to be warriors against ignorance. You know, supposed to be. That's it's supposed to be. Yeah. Well, but again, we let these pseudo intellectual clowns tell us what our words mean. It's just like this flag right here. Yes. They tell us, hey, you know what? That's a racist. Not to us. Nope. Exactly. It's our it's our reverence to our fallen. It, it's our it's our spiritual mission. 
And oh no, it's right. Well, no, it's not. You're wrong. Who gives them authority? That makes them my masters. If I have to dictate, if they dictate to me what I can say and what I yeah. believe, they sure. don't know what I believe. Sure. And they don't care. What's worse, they're antagonistic to our beliefs. And we can't give them the power to to we've got to stop our to make us believe stop. what they're believing. Have to stop exactly. caving in. Absolutely. I, I know during the protest, I had a sign out in my front yard that said, we support law enforcement. And all the police officers, because my office is in my home and all the officers were calling going, you know, they're talking about coming into the suburbs, Susan, you probably got to take that down. I said, take it down. I'm going to put five more up. <laughs> and then my and then my homeowners association sends me a letter and tells me I have to take it down because it's a political sign. So I said, I'm going to go to a meeting at, when my time allows I'm going to make a sign that says we support set the sanitation department and go ask them if that's a political sign too. It's crazy. Little acts of rebellion are important like that. Yes. You know, and we need to do that more often. Well, and we've got to find a way and I have no idea what it's going to be to get society to understand. I'm hoping all of this defunding is waking people up to the reality of how stupid this is. <laughs> uh, I know we have a councilman here in Phoenix uh, I'm sure you've been made aware of Garcia, and he he is just wanting to completely strip the Phoenix Police Department, and I I don't know how you even begin to reconcile. And I think what did we find out? He's the vice mayor. Isn't that what I told I, you? That yeah, I think so. The heading was, it's crazy. Well, I just wrote an article last month on refund, defund, or defund, refund the police. You know, and uh, it's the kind of thing where I look at this. You know. Uh, it's a it's so absurd on its face and yet right. it was so contagious that it mm -hmm. it spread throughout the country like a <laughs> mantra and it's it, it's absurd i mean what you're saying in essence i know let's stop western civilization that'll work sure and you know again these are people who know nothing about the roots of free in fact they're antagonistic to free freedom let's say is supposed to empower an individual, not collectives. You know, we could go on and on. You know, again, we could do a whole semester on this gang <laughs> on what freedom, the, the roots of freedom are. And we're doing everything we can to undermine it. But see, I, I think what happens intuitively, people sense, you know what, this isn't right. This isn't working. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you read about grandma killed sitting uh, in her car at a stoplight or, or a little baby shot uh, through the wall and killed in their bed, you know, you start thinking, well, maybe this is intolerable. Maybe we have to rethink it. Maybe we have to reestablish society as, for instance, go back to uh, retribution as the basis of punishment uh, in the, in the courts. You know, I just, I've just read in an article that I sent in my editor here on, you know, this, uh, this whole uh, restorative justice malarkey. It's all based on, I want to take you guys way back in the ancient days. And when I was a sociology minor back at the University of Arizona, I loved reading this stuff, I, you know, and <coughs> excuse me, criminology mm -hmm. was one of my favorite. But I had a professor who followed the Marxist theory of crime, you know, that it's essentially a, it's a social structure uh, that 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 literally oppresses uh, the masses. And it was all decided again, you know, by class. Well, all it changed since 1972 to now is instead of being class, it's race. And mm -hmm. they, it's exactly the same dog. Well, I just was rereading that. My, I, I, I even uh, bought some updated editions of the books you know, that I had and was reading it. Uh, and the thing is, is that none of that's ever proven true. Uh, the, what, the, what really disemboweled Marxist theory was the fact that when you actually compared real world data, which they never do ever, data is not important to to these people. They're these <laughs> right. dog facts uh, aren't either. That's for sure. No, that's the whole thing because data will lead to the facts. Yep. Right. But when you would take communist countries, socialist, uh, severe social, and let's face it, we're talking communist, fascist. Yes. Uh, it's all socialist dogma, and you you stretch it over and compare that data criminality to capitalist systems, there's just no comparison. Yeah. Capitalist systems where people are allowed to flourish as individuals, the crime rate was so devastating. Well, then they always throw up, well, there's white collar crime. They're like, well, you know what? We now know the Soviet Union was flushed with billionaires. It, it was literally had a subcult of, of a criminal class that was based out of the Appalachian. But again, because nobody studies history anymore, nobody's taught history, everybody's yeah. taught dogma, 
Yes. They don't realize that there's been no more corrupt or violent or vile system of human living than under those systems. Our system was the best. Was it perfect? Heck no. <laughs> but why destroy it based exactly. on the fact that there's some utopian dream? And I tell you what, I'm a huge anti-utopian, you know, that platonic <laughs> or platonistic idea. There's no utopia. That's no. why the word you means no utopia, <laughs> no place. That's why you read that. When you read more Thomas More's Utopia, which is very hard to read, don't bother. Anyway, but, but I love he's actually, telling me everything not to read. We had Sheriff Mark Lamb on here last week, and he's telling me all these things I need to read. And I'm thinking, I'm not sure when I'm supposed to do that, Mark, but okay. But now I love well, you telling me what not to read. Thank you. Keep going, Dave. I'm, I'm going to give you the anti-reading list. And then Good, Mark I love it. The pro-reading list. I love That's it. right. Because, you know, because, again, I can sum up everything just like this. Uh, there's no such place. It doesn't match human nature. It will never work. That's, that's, that's what is, it was satirical. Everybody said, well, some, it was like a model for uh, the perfect, no, and even when you actually look at the names of the characters, there are that in contemporary language, they meant things like the, no, with nothing in his head, they were just <laughs> words, all the heroes or all the quote protagonists explaining it, their, their names again, in the language of the day, we're mocking. So anybody who would have read it way back then would have thought, oh boy, what a stupid idea Plato had, right? <laughs> and yet this is now, you know, they keep talking about these utopian dreams. Right. You can't have utopia. Human beings are fallible. Our feet are clay. And the key to the American system was the fact that we built a dysfunctional government that opposed the human vices, opposed themselves, that canceled out the ability for any one group or or you know, uh, essentially any branch of government to dominate. Well, how do you destroy a republic? Democratize it. That's all yeah. you got to do. Sure. Uh, because everybody agrees democracies always fail. Because once I can, once you, we can vote away your property, once we can vote away your money, yep. then envy becomes the dominant sense of a society and that destroys societies. Boy, that phrase with nothing in his head. There are a lot of faces that pop up in my head. <laughs> Most of them are in DC. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Just turn on the network news tonight. That's it. Yeah, you, know, you can see a lot of them. Hey, I have a question for you, Dave. Is um, yes, before sir. you were at the University of Arizona, yeah, you were at what college? <laughs> little oh. little school. People might be familiar with. <laughs> Yeah, no, I went, I graduated from high school, went to Navy, went to the United States Naval Academy. I always dreamed of being a fighter pilot. It's right. all I ever wanted to. I started flying when I was 14. Wow. And I go to wrestling practice and blow my knee out. I was rebuilt uh, the best they could do. And I was playing battalion football my sophomore year. They brought me in and said, sorry, you're 4F, man, you're out. Wow. I came back, went to the University of Arizona. It's so funny because literally within a week of leaving Navy, getting home back to Flagstaff, just heartbroken. I have to readjust my life now. And again, Gosh. I hear all these people, oh, my dreams are broken. Well, yeah, your dream, that's life. Dreams yeah. get broken. I wasn't going to be a fighter pilot. No, yeah. what's going to happen? Make some new dreams. No, no you just re refocus, you know. Right. I had a bunch of buds. You know, you guys may know Dave Gonzalez, United States oh, Marshal yes. Arizona. Yeah, we we're trying he to get him on here. <laughs> I tell you what, I, man, and all of my buds are telling me this police work is the greatest thing I so I refocused, you know, I got drafted though. It was amazing because I literally was home a week, got a letter in the mail saying I need to report to Phoenix for a physical. So I ran down to the recruiter and I said, well, how can I be being drafted? <laughs> you kicked I'm me drafted. out. <laughs> I got, yeah, I mean, I, you know, this is confusing. They go, and the Navy recruiters are going like, you know, Ken Sabi, man, we don't know what the hell's going on. <laughs> so uh, they said, well, if you do get drafted, we'll make you a, a platoon leader. <laughs> What? Okay, but I want to go back to Navy if I'm yeah. okay. And so I went down to my physical, got my letter, you're 4F. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, I'm 4F. How many, you know. how many times do y'all want to tell me that? Right. It's, no, but again, government by its nature is a massive dysfunctional system. Yes. Mm -hmm. We do some things well, but again, the bigger the system, the more dysfunctional it is. And that's just the nature of human enterprise. And again, I'm a big believer in uh, systems analysis, you know, it's the best class I ever took. I took a graduate class at Arizona state, you know, uh, even though I'm a, I'm telling you, man, you, you just <laughs> play on both sides time. of the fence. Don't you? I'm telling you what, excellent, phenomenal business school, phenomenal business. School. <laughs> and, uh, that systems, uh, 
analysis class was the best ever because I learned to step back and look at the system. How do things work? But what is the processes that they use? And and again, it really helped me on the job there uh, as I went up in rank because I was able to say, why do we do this? Uh, you know, because again, you, in a system, once a system becomes rigid, the internal goals of the system will always dominate the original goals you created that system for. And that's why you got to constantly ask yourself, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Because again, like I said, when I got over to Westcott Communications, I was saying, why aren't we doing this? Why aren't we doing that? Mm -hmm. And they wouldn't change. And now they no longer exist. You know, this is the thing is uh, adapt or die. And for us, you know, getting a, a semi-automatic handgun uh, at a time when revolvers were the dogma, we could see that after 1980, after the Marielito boat lift, we could see uh, criminal, there was that arms race. Uh, because the Cuban criminals that were brought in during the Mary Lito lift uh, literally were all military trained and they immediately started doing their crimes with semi-automatic handguns. Mm -hmm. Well, all the gangsters all started going to semi-autos. Well, we're still stuck carrying, you know, 18 rounds <laughs> yeah. uh, in a revolver. And, okay. you know, we, we fought and fought again. Some agencies changed right away. Some of them, uh, DPS, we, you know, you've invested all that money in armors. You have all that stuff, uh, you know took us about seven years to get it but uh you know we got a good gun and uh, dps has always been good about evaluating uh you know weapon system for our people uh but again our people all had a shotgun under their seat too which yeah. city cops didn't have you know well, and i think that's been an issue with law enforcement it's one of my biggest complaints because my whole focus is on mental wellness of the officers and and families and it's like we're stuck in a in an old time zone of, gosh, but if we admit that, then I might be admitting myself as the chief that I've got some issues. So let's just continue to ignore that until things, I don't know what it's going to take. I mean, the suicide numbers continue to climb and it just seems like something bad has to happen before people really start to take notice. And right now, I think they're just giving it a lot of lip service. It's more of the same yeah. that we've always had. Yeah. 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 Now, where are the resources going? That's your first question to ask yourself. Where, where are we putting the resources toward our uh, mental health of our officers? And again, I believe part of it is, is that, look, leadership has to embrace the fact that they've got to lead. They can't yes. just sit there and follow mm -hmm. political commands. And they say, well, my job's in jeopardy. Well, you know what? Well, maybe if enough of you stood up, you know, uh, you know, the, the, you study the nature of suicide, which has always been complex. Um, you know, the concept of Durkheim's in anomie, I'm adrift, I'm, I'm no longer moored to my life. Uh, nothing sends you adrift more than problems like divorce, uh, loss of sense of mission, loss of belief in, in your life, in essence, that, that puts you adrift right there. Law enforcement officers are hearing their leadership not defend them sure. against what are blatantly ridiculous charges. Well, of course, these officers, you know, are following drift and then they see our whole society you know um we're just not we don't deal with anything well anymore and what's worse is you can almost see there's this almost a soviet style once they get a narrative once they get a propaganda point they never let it go even though data facts and reality are are biting them in the rear end they don't let that reality go it's just like this this issue you know i'm vaccinated by choice you know mm -hmm. i'm 69 decided well i'll take the vac got the pfizer now i'm told well not only does it not work it's quite possibly the fact that people who have the vaccine and are catching it are creating new variants well great right good plan you know good but plan. i was it, but i read uh, all on social media that anybody who doesn't want the vaccine is condemned as some um, three-toothed hillbilly yep. or right. some this or some that and, and i'm like who are you to judge that because there's no i get to balance my life risks you know, I chose it because of my age, my, uh, you know, uh, it, it mitigates, if I do catch it, uh, theoretically, it mitigates my, but then again, in Israel, they just did a study that's a, a very large study that says you're more likely to get sick if you have it. Uh, you're, if you've already had it, you appear to be incredibly immune, but our society is ignoring the people who've already had it, you sure. know, so it's like, you know what, I, where's your data, gang? Where's your data? Yeah. And that's the kind of things, you know, with this mask mandate, my daughter's a dentist and she's seen horrible bacterial infections 
uh, optometrists are seeing and ophthalmologists are seeing bacterial infections because you're holding the bacteria. The mask catches bacteria, it doesn't catch a virus. Right. Okay. And these are the kind of realities that nobody talks. And when you try to discuss it, you're branded as a well, conspiracy theorist. Mm-hmm. No, I'm trying to talk science. And remember, the key word in science isn't consensus, it's skepticism. Yes. And we're not getting that. We're not getting that. And that's what's scary, man. Like I said, we're going to be planting our plants together so they can cooperate next thing you know. that. And you know what this breeds? We talked about humor earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been studying humor and I want, I'm trying to write an article on police humor, why it's dead today. Right. Uh, but what develops is an undermine uh, or an underground humor. The, the Russians called it the anecdote, uh, which is a political anecdote. Uh, and they were little mocking jokes. And the thing is, is that you see that now in our profession, you see it all the time. We have our little inside jokes, our little memes on Facebook. (laughs) And uh, and that's what's happened is these anti-government or or mocking memes that were very careful. In fact, Stalin once did a study to see how quickly they would spread from one side of Moscow to the other. These these because we anecdotally be considered a sort of an anti-revolutionary strike by the people. And, they, and the KGB found it took six hours from a joke to be told on one side of Moscow to reach the other. That's how popular these wow. were. So, so they, there was a saying in the Soviet Union that, that, that Stalin would laugh at your jokes and collect the jokesters. You know, uh, you put 200,000 people in prison just for making jokes. Making jokes. Wow. Time. I, what do we do? We fire people. We yeah. just fire them. What, what's the difference? You know, you're taking away. That's a form of violence. Sure. We're gonna, we need to recognize this. Yeah, look at, look at the police departments that are punishing people just for liking something that might be perceived by somebody in the public as racist, sexist, something, and heaven forbid we can't have that. And you just think, no. you know, how do we get the pendulum to swing from where it is now back to something a little more realistic? And I don't know what that's going to take other than uh, I know like Mark Lamb, we were telling him last week, you know, he's the kind of leader who stands up and I heard him at the Arizona Narcotics Officers Association where Dave Grossman was speaking and Dave was real impressed with Mark and uh, Mark got up in front of David Gonzalez and a lot of, a lot of federal people at the top of the food chain. And he got up there and he basically talked about how leadership in law enforcement is an embarrassment. They're spineless. They won't stand up for their people. And he just went on and on. It was everything I could do not to jump up and scream, you know, (laughs) preach it, brother. And uh, there were a lot of people in that room that appreciated that. And we got to have more of it. Yeah. You know, that's the whole thing is, you know, we talk about what we used to talk about, duty, honor, loyalty, courage. Mm -hmm. And courage has always been the root of, of all the other ethos or virtues, whatever you want to call them of a law enforcement officer, of a warrior. And selflessness is the foundation. It always has Mm -hmm. been when true warriorship is selflessness. Why is that suddenly a negative? I don't understand. Right. But when we talk about courage, you have to understand it isn't physical courage that's most important in a free society. It's moral courage. Mm -hmm. And we don't, we don't, this is why, you know, our kids aren't taught about the Holocaust. And not only are they not taught about the Holocaust, they're not taught about those who resisted it, you know, and, uh, this is the thing that bothers me. You know, there are so many heroes they should be taught because that's how we want our kids to model. Yes. Mm-hmm. And yet we don't, we don't teach our kids this at all. We teach them in fact, to be submissive. You know, mm-hmm. I watch these kids coming home from high school off the bus and they're wearing their mask walking down the street, you know, and I want to say, look, you're all by yourself. Take your mask off. Right. And then, and the mask does you no good. Anyway. <clears throat> right. And that's just a form of, uh, it's literally become a social uh, equivalency of, of saying that uh, I'm certainly not a conservative, you know. Um, I think we failed. A, I think we failed one of the worst social experiments this country has ever had. It's yeah. almost like somebody sitting up there in the Wizard of Oz going, hey, let's see if they'll fall for this. <laughs> and everybody well, jumps to it. We don't just follow them. We, we severely punish yes. and denigrate and ostracize right. anybody who questions it. That America, we were the questioning people. We were the, some of our greatest humorists, you know, think back to Will Rogers. He mocked the government mercilessly. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, we, now you're not allowed to mock the government. The authorities are to be, you know, we've become a nation of hierarchists. Whatever the hierarchy tells me to do, that's what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. 
you don't stay free very long like that. I'm really, uh, I, I, I mean, it's very frustrating. Uh, you, you, when you sit there and you try to draw analogies, what's going to happen? What, what, how will we change this? I, I don't know how we change it, but I think the, as catastrophe after catastrophe hits, it's going to eventually meet, we're going to meet, uh, reach a critical mass uh, where I think we're going to have decisions made for us or by us. And it's up to us how that works. You know, mm -hmm. if you want to buy us, we need to stand up. For us, we can just be submissive. You know? Sure. Sure. Are you speaking at any conferences like with chiefs and sheriffs or anything like that, that they're the ones who need to be hearing these messages? Well, you know, we just did this spring. We did or yeah, this spring we went up to uh, the South Dakota Chiefs and Sheriffs Association. You know, and there's the thing is uh, there was nobody who question, you know, cause I, you know, we were teaching the class on off duty safety for families, you know, how to keep your family safe, yourself safe and keep your mind right. And all these things, you know, and uh, you know, keep your people's mind right. And, and nobody argues, nobody debates, you know, um, that's the whole thing. You know, uh, I, I it, it seems like if you can get out of major urbans and in South Dakota has no major urban, right. center, <laughs> right. you know, uh, if you can get out of the urban centers or out of the university umbrella, I grew up in Flagstaff, which was a very conservative, uh, very, very religious city. And uh, now it's, uh, it's California. It's yeah. just literally a granola. Uh, you know, if you want a beer, great. But if you want to be free, forget it. Sure. Uh, you know, it's just a little Soviet paradise up there. And I blame the fact that when years ago, they gave the college kids the right to vote where they went to college instead of making them vote yeah. in their hometowns. Mm -hmm. What that did was develop this collective body that, the, that again, the, the guys when I was in college were playing Frisbee and uh, had the long hair beard and the anti-war stuff. Uh, they never left campus. Mm -hmm. They just took over the classrooms and uh, they're in charge now. Uh, you know, that professor that believed in this, in the Marxist theory of crime, uh, he became the, the leader, I think, within that, that group, you know, and dominated, even though it was discredited by data, it's just evolved, you know, um, and that's the whole thing. I could go through this, uh, literally every social science is no longer a valid science. It's a, it's a propaganda piece and that's, sure. you know, tragic, you know. Well, my vote is you bring back Buck Savage. <laughs> I, think oh, we, I think we need more of J.D. Buck That's Savage right. today. I tell you what, you know, I, you know what? I don't know that I could even be funny nowadays. Oh, I bet you oh, could. No. Oh, okay. Like you said, you know, because there's always somebody who's in a position of authority, not really, but in their, in their mind to judge us and tell yeah. us, well, how dare police officers laugh? How dare, how, you know, and this is the problem, you know, uh, it's a, it's a strange time indeed. Uh, we don't prosecute criminals, but we prosecute special classes of people. Uh, it's it's very Soviet right now. It's yeah. just again, if you've actually studied the Soviet Union, like us three, know what the history is. Yes. Wow, what's going on? It's just insane. Mm -hmm. Where's the equal justice? You know, we had a thing called the Constitution. Yeah, I don't know what uh, happened to it. <laughs> uh, apparently, the Supreme Court themselves don't read it very often. Uh, uh, you know, the, the, the judges that everybody had high hopes for have turned out to be a disappointment. Uh, essentially falling right in line. You know, I guess those those parties in D.C. are pretty convincing, I guess, when you sit around <laughs> and have that cocktail party, you want to come be invited back. So something is. Yeah. But, you know, this is why I work for me and and I, I take it you kind of work for you. So, you know, it's kind of hard to fire yourself, although I have been known to do it. Um, but. Like I said, I just think we need more humor and we try to use it in all of our trainings. And uh, I know you have taught with Dave Grossman, like I have for many, many years. And, you know, to see him attacked the way he was last year is it, again, it broke my heart. It was all it, it was all out of context and yep. nobody wanted to hear. I, I spent an hour and a half on the phone with a guy from Spokane mm -hmm. and uh for the for his newspaper you know explaining i said well have you have you actually watched where that 20 seconds was out no what how are you reporting on something you exactly. have no idea what the context is yeah. and i explained like dave's 
Dave's primary emphasis in killology was understanding that we need to stop teaching our kids to kill. Yes. What don't you get about that? Right. And how, and and this is the kind of stuff where no, they've been given a narrative, and they're going to write an article to match that narrative. When I showed up to teach at Spokane, you know, Dave canceled. He he just it was, uh, and I understood it was sure. a ridiculous bunch of attacks. So this is uh, the end of October last year. A whole bunch of BLM kids, all Anglo-Saxon, of all college kids all dressed as witches and warlocks showed up <laughs> to protest me. Well, you know, okay. I'm married to a 29 year veteran of a Chicago suburb. She, you know, cop, uh, she's not good. She just went marching out to talk to them. They ran away. Did they really? From a 62 year old woman. <laughs> they ran from her. She just wanted to go talk to him. And she was going to take her computer out and show them our PowerPoint to show what we talk about is mindset, uh, optimizing your life, optimizing your abilities. If that's warriorship, I guess that's terrible, but I don't right. know what's terrible about it. But they wouldn't wow. talk to her. They ran away. They ran down to the other end of the campus and stood wow. there until she went back in. Good it was like, well, boy, these are, are these her. students? Yeah, well, yeah, no. no. That, that would have been that's fun. You said. <laughs> said you work for yourself. No, I work for my wife. <laughs> it can be fine. You're, yes. you're, you're a smarter man than most that I meet. Let's put it that way. <laughs> but it, you know and when the churches started canceling dave that was one of the biggest disappointments to me and i thought so what if people protest outside the church who cares but just the the cowering of institutions and and groups and people because they're trying to not ruffle people's feathers you go where does that end yeah no that doesn't end anywhere good no it doesn't uh, no, the, you know what? And again, you study the rise of these uh, Marxist and fascist groups. It was the churches that always stood against them to the mm-hmm. very end. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, you know, the Catholic Church, the yep. Lutherans, you know, and and, uh, and again, the first thing that uh, Mussolini knew he had to do was was build a pact with the, the Catholic Church. You know, they were not anti-Semitic. They were very careful about that. It was only Hitler that forced him to be anti-Semitic, and then he gets arrested. Yeah, uh, Mussolini did. Uh, this is the kind of thing that churches always oppose these kind of. Well, in America today, many of our churches uh, have been so co-opted, uh, they, you don't even recognize scripture in no. their ideas. Mm-hmm. And that's all. the whole thing. And look, if you don't call yourself a religion if you're not going to follow the dogma or the principles of that religion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this country was raised under judeo-christian it's un it's un, un uh, inarguable yes mm-hmm. it's that we were a judeo-christian society in yep. fact uh in alexa de tocqueville uh in his democracy in america says americans are so infused with christian ethos and values they never talk about christianity because they expect each other to know it automatically now again he was a extremely devout catholic from france but what shocked him was how Americans, he said, in, in, you know, the Europeans would mock America. It's just this, uh, this whole hillbilly culture. He said, yet he never went into a log cabin that didn't have the Bible mm-hmm. and the works of Shakespeare. And they could converse extensively on both. All right. Now, our kids today have neither. Right. And they can't converse about a damn thing no. except dog. <laughs> right. So what the hell's happened? You know, right. it's been almost 200 years since he was here in, in the 1830s. And it's you're just flabbergasted. What's wrong with us? So we yes. lost our way. You know, that, you know, and, and you know, I, I look at these primers you know that the kids used to read uh in the 1900 or early part of the last century you know and, the, and there's more in the second grade uh little primer than we learned in high school for god's sake right. you know my, my dad grew up in a little valentine nebraska right in, in his high school they taught him greek and latin in a in valentine nebraska wow. right so Look at our education system today. Our kids don't even talk. At least we were taught how to do income tax. Remember, we had to learn oh, to yeah. do our 1040s. I don't think the kids today even know how to do it. You know, it's just ridiculous. No, they've, they've, uh, it's almost like they've become just lazy and don't think they even need to think. Just tell me what I need to think and we'll go with that. It's, right. it's scary. Well, it's, and it all relates to crime because yeah. if you look back to when I was in sociology, when you guys were in college, we all knew this that. 
that if we're ever going to solve the urban crime problem, we had to elevate the underclass, as we would call them back then, mm-hmm. you know, the impoverished, sure. by education. We had to, it had to become a value to them. You know, it's 50 years later. We're not talking about that. No. We're talking, we're blaming the system for the, the, the system's failure. Yeah, no, we're blaming the system, the people who are stuck with the problem, but we're not not blaming the roots that never got better. You know, I mean, this is, you know, again, how do you solve problems when you won't acknowledge the reality? Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. That's it. So are you speaking anywhere anytime soon that people can come out and hear you? Uh, you know what? Uh, the survival summit in October. You know what? You asked me questions. I didn't prepare for that because <laughs> I didn't didn't think you'd ask me that. You know what? I do uh, just read my magazine article every month or a police magazine, you know, and uh, uh, but that's it right now. I've got uh, we're, we're speaking at the police summit uh, in October, the uh, survival summit in Vegas. Where are your uh, articles? Where are you writing? Oh, go to go to police mag. Okay. Uh, just just Google Dave Smith Police Mag, and you'll get all my articles from all the years, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, you'll see, of course, I've become much more serious because I'm trying to educate all these young cops about where the roots of this stuff come from and to believe in what they do. If we're going to stay free, yes, it's going to be because we have that new generation yep. of kids come in who believe in what they're doing. They're on that mission, that hero's journey. Yes. And I. And that's they're everyday heroes. They're essential to that. But yeah, check out my articles at Police Mag. Uh, and, and this is the thing, you know. Keep everybody keep learning. You know, don't think you know it all. We don't. We don't know it. You know. Uh, so that's the kind of thing is is that keep learning about our history and our society and the roots of freedom. And you know, a lot of good books are coming out now. And uh oh, now he's going to start telling me the things I need to read. <laughs> Got to read. I, I'm, I'm a third of the way through American Marxism by uh, Mark Levin, and it's just amazing. You know, I always learn so much from him. You know, he's, I do too. He's kind of like a professor of, of political science. And I, what I love is in his book, you have you have all these footnotes, so you can go to all these references and read. Because that's what I love to do. I love to live in the reference section uh-huh. and go and find these root documents. You know, sure. But uh, but it's amazing to me, and it's so funny because when I, when I'm searching these, uh, let me give you an example. Uh, I was working on an article a couple of months ago, and I went back and looked up "Broken Windows," the original article in Atlantic Magazine, which everybody should go back and read. Back in 1982, I think it was. Okay, it's still online. Uh, it's amazingly brilliant uh, because "Broken Windows" theories, I believe, works absolutely. But, but you find when you Google it, uh, you know, debunking, you know, the debunked theory of the, how debunk, and debunks become a left-wing term to say, he's right, but don't believe, believe it. Right. Right. <laughs> Our fact finders find it is not true. Whoever yeah, these fact finders it, are. Exactly. Don't believe this, right. although it's true. Don't right. believe it. You know, I get so tired of that word, debunking. But that, boy, that was all over when I was trying to find the original article you know wow. the debunk theory of broken windows <laughs> why is it debunked what day did you have it's yeah. just like uh, you know yeah that's... a professor of criminology you know one of the greatest books i ever read about it. don't bother to read it it's <laughs> <laughs> thank you dad very, go ahead <laughs> very dense but horowitz is uh, the deconstruction of sociology and he literally shows how the marxist movement took over sociology in our colleges and uh, it was brilliant that repetitive, but that was it. I, don't read the book. I, Dave Smith just gave you the entire synopsis. <laughs> Sociology like, department is Leninist. Forget it. Okay? I, I, I like uh, cliff notes to things. That's a cliff note, right? You can pass every essay question on it if you just stop that. There you go. Well, I, I see you uh, in our future on this podcast because I, I think we could get several hours out of you um, if you're willing to come back and and do this with us again absolutely awesome (laughs) let's do it again you bet and so as we wrap this this hour up with the jd buck savage the one and only the one and only and i and again i'm going to keep plugging for you to come back because i'd love (laughs) to show some new stuff in our trainings at the at the i was just at phoenix police academy teaching new recruits the other day and i'd love to be able to put some new stuff with your old stuff because I think we desperately need it these days. 
Yes, we do. But we need we, to laugh. Yes, a lot. We need to reaffirm. Exactly. A lot of things we need to do. Absolutely. But we do appreciate you taking the time to be with us and all of you listening. Tom, you got any last words of wisdom for our listeners? Um, don't forget our past. Where did we come from? Um, that's what's going to keep our future alive. That's for sure. Yes. And, and, you know, I used to teach critical thinking in college, the most fun class I ever taught because I found out just how dumb some of our young people were <laughs> and how they, exactly. they'd never heard the opposing opinion of something. <laughs> and it was a lot of fun to teach. But, uh, for those of you listening that are in law enforcement, first responders, military, Please reach out to us at Under the Shield. We're here for you 24 7, 365. Our toll free number is 855 889 2348. We're here for families, and we will never ask your name or who you work for. We keep everything completely anonymous, but please do reach out to us, and we hope you'll come back and visit us again here at Under the Shield, presenting Fight in Progress.